And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Three ah! are United States Astro Robots. They come a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. And welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from class to the culture, the cheese in between. The movies are beef, the entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. I'm joined once again by my dad, Mr. Al Giaconetti. Good morning, Jay. I guess today we're doing some feedbacks, right? Yeah, listener feedback. We got a bunch, and we've been trying. I like to usually use the end of the episodes, but you, the episodes kind of get a little long, and I you know, don't want everyone to kind of feel exhausted. So we're going to dedicate this one to the feedbacks we have in the the uh, the old mail sack right now. So first one up is Mr. Jack Bond, and he says, Cuddling Amongst the Cobra. So clearly he's talking about Deadly Mantis. Uh, Cult of the Cobra. Well, I'll begin where you guys ended. Would I watch it again? I first watched it while I had it on had the disc out for the Leech Woman a few years ago, and I can say I did not watch it again with the episode coming up. So uh, this is of course part of the um, just holding Jack's email. Here. This is part of the Sci-Fi Collection Volume One, uh, which uh, features uh, like Deadly Mantis and Cult of the Cobra right. and whatever, and all go together. So Cult of the Cobra. Well, I'll begin with. Oh, I got that right. Sorry, excuse me. One thing I noticed was that this was a period piece set 10 years before it was made at the end of World War II. Why do you think they chose that instead of the Korean War? The more global nature allows them to be a bit more vague in locating the origin of the cult, but I think there was more uh, but I think there's more prestige too. They had been uh, there hadn't been a year without a World War II movie since the, the the thing began and not just war movies. Homecoming movies like Universal's Bright Victory from 51 were also a trend. I don't know if this uh, will be early enough to be counted as a pre-feedback. And I know there are worse uh, giant bug movies, but I've avoided Dead Deadly Mantis since it put me to sleep one late night creature feature in my youth. As a result, I don't uh, have much memory of it. I'll probably have to watch it again uh, before you discuss that just leaves Monster Hunter Campus for from that collection. Well, um, so the Jack. So thank you very much, Jack. Yes. So we were talking about the Jack is talking about is the sci-fi uh, collections, volume one and two. Um, and I'm trying to remember. Uh, I forget which ones in one, which ones in two. I think Deadly Mantis and Leech Woman and all those things. Those might be volume two. And then like the other one has Monster Hunter Campus and Monolith Monster. Like, they're all I got kind of yeah. all mixed together because. 
I literally have them sitting together, so I don't remember which disc or which, but The Incredible Shrinking Man is in there. Those are two great sets if you pick them up. Usually you can get them about $10, $12 on Amazon. Um, you might be able to find them used like for that kind of thing. Uh, they sometimes sell them together as one set together. It's bo- it's just literally the two releases mm-hmm. mailed to you together. So, uh, But Jack's talked about Cult of the Cobra. Now, we talked about Cult of the Cobra way back um, for our Valentine's Day episode. Uh, and that, again, Cult of the Cobra is a movie that I had not seen prior to watching it for this, at least not all the way through. I, I remember parts of it, but I don't remember the whole movie. And then we watched it again for the, the episode. Um, and Cult of the Cobra is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was an know, entertaining film. Right. I mean, and I mean, it's, it's not boring. Uh, there's, there's a lot of breakfast discussion, probably more than you would get in most films. Uh, but I think what you get there is you get, uh, you know, solid actors and actresses and, yeah. and, and the movies, you know, what it's going to be. It's not a straight up horror, not like uh, anything horrific happening there. Cause again, it's the, the fifties. They don't show you a lot of horrific stuff. So, um, you know, in 50s and 60s, you don't see a whole lot of stuff on the screen often. If I remember correctly, there's only a couple of, I mean, there, there was a, there was a couple of, um, Good shots of the, uh, the the woman turning into a cobra. Yeah. Or, and the background. Well, it's it's her turning into the cobra, as in like her silhouette turns right, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. done, but it's done well because they've done the silhouette even in Abbott and Costello meet uh, meet Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where Bela Lugosi's turns into Dracula. Turns into Dracula. Dracula turns into back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, it's better that way than than some you know half baked. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I think the problem is is that. Um, Again, looking back at a movie that's, you know, like uh, 60 years old or, you know, kind of thing, uh, you have to remember what special effects were at the time, how much money was being put into it. Like, this wasn't the the A picture being run, no. you know, at all the major houses. This is a B picture to run with everything else. So, um, but yeah, I think Jack's right. Cold Dead Cobra is not a movie I'm going to pop on anytime. It definitely, it's like The Leech Woman. I'm not going to pop The Leech Woman on just to watch it for no reason. Uh, but to watch the two of them together, they actually make a pretty good double feature. Uh, you know, of um, especially we did both of them for Valentine's Day episode, yeah. but they're women who are taking control of whatever, and they're you know getting revenge. You know, and the leech woman's just trying to steal the uh, the 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 stuff from their neck so she can be young again. Whereas the uh, cult of the cobra, they're getting revenge on them for desecrating their cult. Yeah, I mean, this is one. If if the the Halloween uh, uh, shows on the, that the movies that are coming up on. Uh, uh, TCM. If this is one of the ones and yeah. I happen to catch it, I'm not going to turn it off. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's also you know what it is. It's it's perfect for TCM. It fits right in their little perfect time slot. Right. It there's nothing to cut out. Uh, is it Faith Demorg is the uh, she's the the uh, main female lead kind of. Well, she's the, the the Cobra, right? So she's good to talk about. Marshall Thompson's in it. Right. He's good to talk about. So you have see if you have a guys like John Agar or like you know people who fit into other movies, they TCM loves that because then they can go wheel out him like let me tell you about what else they did, and they can just pull out some old thing they talked about. Right, and a lot of them. Were in top flight movies yeah. that even though they were, uh, let's say, big bugs or or or, or uh, other kind of creature movies, uh, were big box office success. Yeah. And so that, like you said, it falls right in line with what TCM. Well, this movie, like the Beast in Twenty Thousand Fathoms, it was what the, or them, one of the top oh, top well, five grosses of the year. Yeah. I mean, them them just sets the set the bar so high for yeah. what movies can do. Them is so influential beyond 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 belief, but. Beast and Twenty Thousand Fathoms is perfect because it's Ray Harryhausen, right? Right. It's well acted. They can tell Lee Van Cleef is in it. Like it's all those little things they like yeah. talking about. And since it's you know takes place in New York City, 
they can show up. Well, here, like this is really, you know, a shot of New York and this is really a shot. They love those kind of things and any, anything like that they can do. But I mean, I'm even thinking of like, if, if they have a movie by Jack Arnold, they're like, well, Jack Arnold also did. And they can just start rolling that stuff out and they talk about the science. That's what, that's what those, that's what TCM loves to do. It's not like when AMC does their horror fest, you know, it's all the Friday 13, not Friday, excuse me, the Halloween movies they have the credit yeah. to. So they get, they show those, but those movies, they aren't trying to like go into like backstories. TCM wants to have a movie that runs, you know, 84 minutes, right. you know, so you have a six minute bumper to make it an hour and a half for, so it's a two hour, you know, whatever kind of slot they can do whatever around. They like moving, making their movies fit in nice little slots. Yeah. So. But so, Jack, thank you very much for that feedback. Uh, all right. Second feedback up. It says the deadly mantis. Definitely a big bug movie. This is from Luke. Uh, says, Jay, of all the giant bug movies of the mid 1950s, the deadly mantis is certainly one of them. Get it? So it's, it's certainly one of them. Not not the one, but one of them. As you stated on the episode, the film is not as good as them, nor as bad as the beginning of the end or the monster from Green Hell, which is. Again, the, there's always you have that was that was an A, a B, and well, a but that's S. the idea. But that's the yeah. idea. Like the, you always need a high and a low for an average, right? If them is the best giant bug movie of all time, and let's right. I, mean, I can't think of a better giant bug movie for what it's done. And you consider like the beginning of the end or Monster Green Hell, maybe the low end, you know, kind of thing. Like you know, you know, even even at a, even uh, Peter Graves couldn't save <laughs> you know uh, the beginning of the end. There has to be a middle. Right, and that's where this one falls. And I think Luke's right. The, the Deadly Mantis falls more in the middle than it does fall at the very low, and it doesn't really yeah. reach to the top, of the high. Yeah. So um, it's a perfectly acceptable giant bug sci-fi movie, but not memorable for being being either particularly good or bad. Re, uh, uh, bad reasons. It's entertaining and unpretentious, but also not particularly ambitious either, which is true. The movie actually doesn't do a whole lot. So if you think about it, like a movie like Tarantula. There's much more in the movie, like yeah. about the science and the whatever, you know, and again, Jack Arnold, and that's what you get. I will state that uh, despite the fact that there was a, uh, this was a universal film and presumably had a decent budget for this type of picture, even the, even the super, even the super cheap independent creature feature, the giant Gila monster could at least pony up a toy train for the monster to derail. And Jack Gila Monster is an actual Gila Monster, obviously, right? And they actually have a Lionel train, and you can tell what it is, and it comes right at him, and it derails it, um, along with all the hot rods, right? As an aside, Dad mentioned that the uh, Inuit scene and uh, and made reference uh, to MST3K. For what it's uh, for what it's worth, that scene has one of my favorite non sequitur riffs. Um, sung to the tune of "Moving, Moving Out" by Billy Joel. He's trading his Chevy for a kayak, yak, 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 yak. Um, <laughs> okay, Luke. thanks. Oh, no, that's what it is. It's from that, Dad. It's from that. Um, thanks, and looking forward to another uh, to whatever is coming down the pipe, uh, Luke. Uh, so, but it's true if you think about it. Deadly Mantis is not exactly earth shattering and what it brought to the table it's more famous i think for the fact that like the the post of the mantis on the um the, the washington monument or even the end of the movie when the mantis is laying dead in the in the lincoln tunnel i think that's more kind of maybe famous for what this movie is and, and again it's a dead it's a giant mantis and mantises themselves look so alien compared to even other insects yeah uh because nothing else kind of looks like a mantis i mean the, the animatronics uh, they, obviously they what they what they built um 
they were fine. Yeah, no, yeah. And, and there's the the one the one stop motion scene when when he he's uh, he attacks the outpost. Um, it's done pretty well. But I think what Luke's saying is right. Yeah. But, there's, it, it's not an ambitious story. No. It's kind of a very by-the-number mm. story. And you got, I mean, I forget who the uh, the lead um, actor was. I don't know. He and, and the and the lead actress, you know, they it, that was kind right. of corny. Yeah. But, but I'm saying, but it wasn't because, again, it wasn't written. I, I think, and I'm not trying to, you know, it wasn't written to be, you know, edgy. It no, was written oh, to no, be no. just a, a and it did, but it did what it said on the outside of the tin, which I think is what it is. It said the deadly mantis, and you, if you as a kid, you go there like, all right, yeah. and they're talking about things, and like, okay, let's do this, and then what happens is you get to, oh, now the mantis is t- attacking yeah. these things. Well, I mean, that's the one where they're in the the Arctic, and they're like, you know, fi- you can't find a woman behind it, find a woman behind every tree. Good luck finding a tree. You know, mm-hmm. there's all those little things. You're like. Okay, like, are they, are they trying to be funny? Are they trying to be edgy? Well, like, they're, they're, so those lines are there, yeah. but then they never expound upon those lines, no. and they don't go full funny, you know, which is if great. I remember, if I remember right, that that was the the scene up where the uh, the mantis had attacked. It tore the, apart the plane. Tore, yeah, and the plane is 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 it, the the wind tunnel that they've got going. Yeah. to create the the, the, the tundra. Sound. Yeah, it looks like the plane's about ready to take yeah. off. Right, so. All right, our next email, it says, In a Room, Darkly, Dark Room, Episode 98. So this is also from Luke. Jay, I have never heard. I had never heard of Dark Room before you told me about it. I'm familiar with a lot of science fiction, fantasy, horror, anthology shows over the years, but not this one. It does certainly fit in the mold, as you say, especially in the wake of The Night Gallery. In fact, being in color and with different segments of different length, this sounds a lot like The Night Gallery. And this format would be used, again, for for the 1980s Twilight Zone revival as well. So let's just stop there for a second. So Night Gallery, uh, which ran technically for three seasons, although season one is all unique. Season two, they started using little bits and pieces here from season one, right. and they redid them. Season three is a lot of, like, it's it, there's new stuff and there's a lot of fill-in. But Night Gallery, I think, at its best, was great they were like the best they were like twilight zone episodes like and that's when they were good when night gallery was poor you're like oh god this is taking forever their shorter their shorter segments usually tended to be more uh poignant and funny right right and i and i think that's when you kind of like saw the best parts of this the long ones on night gallery the the best one the best night gallery to me the best night gallery of all time is still the one it's basically the boys from brazil it's that mm-hmm. idea it's that you have a uh, a nazi uh and i forget if he was either supposed to be like um either the head of of auschwitz or something like one of the guards or he's one of the scientists whatever he's it's 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 an it's an ex not well it's a, it's a nazi who escaped to some and i don't i don't remember if they tell you it's brazil but he's some somewhere in the in the, in the south america and he's being hunted, that kind of thing, by the like the the guy who's coming to ask him all the questions. And he goes to the, he goes to the museum every day, and he wishes himself into this painting. And he he, he realizes I can get in this painting and escape. And what happens is he wishes him the painting's been moved, and he wishes himself into the painting, and it's a fire. It's supposed to be hell or something like that, right? And he wishes himself into hell, which is the most ironic thing ever, right? Kind of, it's very different than the boys from Brazil. It's not exactly the story that from that. Um, which that, that's who's that Gregory Peck and and, like, uh, and uh, Lawrence Olivier, right? I mean, you know, kind of a different level. But I think that's when you have the best of Night Gallery, and I think we see the same thing here. And again, Night Gallery was the '70s, and this is now the very early '80s with Darkroom. Um, I think we see that same thing with Darkroom. We see some segments work beautifully, and some segments you're like, okay, yeah, okay. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, one of the reasons why the Night Gallery just almost almost came to a complete halt. Was that Serling 
uh, was he had uh, his lung cancer. Well, right, and I'm not right. sure whether he he was incapacitated or had died. You know, by the time the the, the second season had even no, I, I think well, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, don't to, I, I think it might have been during season three when that stuff happened. But I think what happened was he was it, somewhat he didn't write everything, and he could no. he didn't write all the Twilight Zones, and I'm not saying he did, but like the problem was they were using some of these stories that he had, and some of the stories you can tell like okay, there's a reason these weren't used in the Twilight Zone run. Like they were, he probably, they might've been older stories and they were pretty good, but like, but this one doesn't quite have enough punch. This one's not having a quite whatever. And, uh, you know, and whether it was Richard Matheson or whoever else might've been writing Twilight Zone episodes as well. The idea being is if you had a bunch of short story ideas in a book or like, you know, kind of a notepad and you flesh them out, sometimes those things sound okay as like a, a, a one line hitter, right. but then you flesh it out. You're like, okay, this doesn't really have much, this doesn't have enough legs. I think that's sometimes the yeah. issue. And I think we see that too with Nightgate, with, um, excuse me, with the dark room. So as Luke continues, you stated that you felt on the anthologies that the shorter episodes tend to work better because of the quick hitter, get in and get out nature. You also mentioned an action to EC comics. Uh, these two points go hand in hand to me. The format, which EC used typically four short stories per issue, each six to eight pages a piece mirrors the format of the shorter segments on the thriller episode on, on the thriller anthologies. At the uh, at that page count, the strip doesn't have time for fluff or nonsense. It's rising action, climax, falling action, ironic uh, uh, denouement, done. This format was used uh, for countless horror comics over the years, and was and was even still kicking around in 1981 when Dark Room was airing. Specifically, DC Comics held on to their mystery titles longer than any other publishers, notably House of Mystery and House of Secrets. Not going to lie, when you described the opening to the dark room panning through a spooky house, I immediately thought of the, the two DC houses, which were home to their respective horrors, namely the brothers Cain and Abel. Uh, in any event, thank you for uh, shedding some light on this obscure series. Hopefully it will be the, uh, it being available for viewing on NBC's website. Uh, so more viewers will be able to tune in and uh, make, uh, make their own opinions. Looking forward to what cover comes down the pipe. Luke. So again, we've now covered, uh, you know, other episodes we've gone through the next, you know, two and three. Um, and we have more of them obviously coming up, uh, you know, planned for next year. Uh, the dark thing with dark room is that, you know, it was, uh, as we covered in, uh, the, in episode three, which is the, uh, siege of, uh, August with 31 August or whatever, what it get, right. Kind of what things, been but it's, it's the one with Ronnie Cox. That episode pretty much was the death knell for the, the, the best episode they ever aired meant that was good. Well, no, we can't have that on TV. Uh, and that episode is so influential, uh, when people who know the dark room and remember, they remember that episode, it sticks out in your mind, even though like the other ones, like, uh, like uncle Charlie and like whatever, you know, or, you know, kind of <laughs> thing like that. Those episodes are good. That one sticks out for being so poignant at a time when before, I mean, a time before Rambo, a time before those movies existed, like we talked about during the episode. So, all right, we got one last piece of mail to get through here today. Uh, you know, for this is this being obviously uh, the feedback. Here we go. And this one is from Luke. It says, Jason, mother is speaking to you. Friday the 13th, part two. Now, I'm just going to share this, folks. I have got feedback from people, not feedback, you know, sent via email, but have said to me, I'm so shocked you got your dad to watch Friday the 13th, part one. I said, well, Friday the 13th, part one really isn't even a Jason Voorhees movie. It's a murder mystery. Mm, yeah. It has nothing really to do with Jason. To get to watch part two, now we're getting into Friday the 13th, which starts becoming this, the franchise. But let's be very honest here. Friday the 13th, part two is not 
in the middle of this franchise. When we start getting into four and six and my favorite, which is seven, like you are smack dab in the middle of, hey, how can we kill teenagers to make lots and lots of money? Because that's what this whole series was. It just, everyone says, oh, the screen's running red, but it doesn't matter because the producer's pockets are full of green. Mm -hmm. And the only movie (laughs) series that might have done better to be honest with you, I mean, everyone looks at the Halloween because the original Halloween is great. I love Halloween 3, which has nothing to do with Michael Myers. But the Friday the 13th movies created New Line Cinema. I mean, without New Line Cinema, there is no – New Line doesn't grow and grow and grow. And they get sold for millions of dollars, you know, kind of thing. We don't talk about uh, Nightmare here yet. But on Nightmare on Elm Street, the idea of that New Line was nothing more than – like it basically was a storefront. It was like an, an, they had rented an office space. It was everyone's – I mean, like Bob Shea is running around the office doing everything. And then it's like this little tiny movie that starred these nobodies that you had ever heard of, you know, one of them being Johnny Depp, right? It turns out to be – I mean, Johnny Depp at that time had already done some stuff, but he wasn't a major star yet. It, 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 Freddy Krueger is literally – to the, you know, the, everyone says, well, you know, he's the, he's the, you know, the, he's the nightmare king and all stuff. But he was exactly what they had ever dreamed of. He was the cash cow, and he produced. There's less Friday. There's less Nightmare on Elm Street movies than there are Friday Thirteenths. Than there are uh, um, Nightmare um, Halloween. Halloweens. Then there are Hellraisers. That is the sh- is the shortest of all of the series, right? And yet it helped a company go from nothing to being a mate, a mid major and then got sold for millions of dollars and whatever. I mean, without, without nightmare on Elm street, there are no screams. There are almost, there are almost as many scream movies as there are nightmare on Elm Street. Now there are more nightmare on Elm street, but I'm saying, but scream became, I mean, scream was just revolutionized what horror was in the nineties. Um, the, the, the postmodern horror. But anyway, let's get with Luke's email it says, Jay, while often over, over, uh, try it again. While often overshadowed, not wrongly, by its successors, Friday the 13th Part 2 is a solid early slasher entry. As you and Dad discussed in the episode, at this stage, the subgenre is still in its formative years, so the tropes are not all codified quite yet, but we are getting there. Personally, I've always liked the, uh, the finale in The Shack. Ginny disguised herself as Mrs. Voorhees and using psychology on Jason. It was one of my favorite moments in the series. Her line of, Jason, mother is talking to you, is uh, is a spot-on bit of acting from Amy Steele. It also ch- uh, ties back nicely to Ginny's background as an aspiring child psychologist. The window gag is also a legitimate classic, uh, to the point where it, hit, it was shouted out in Freddy vs. Jason decades later. The series has not hit its stride yet. I personally believe three marks that point. But Paramount knew they had a moneymaker on their hands. Let's just kind of stop there for a second. The scene where Jason burst through that window, right, it's shocking. They need a shocking. I mean, the, the Luke's right. The shack is really where the the end of the movie kind of happens. Yeah. And then he burst through the window, and it scared people a lot. Not nearly as much as Jason jumping out of the water and grabbing her at the end of part one, which literally, I know people who know it's coming, and they I mean, still it's, jump. Right. It's it, and and let's be honest. Uh, they've talked about this. What is that? It's Carrie's hand shooting out of the ground at the end of Carrie, and people are like. You know, because even Stephen King talks about that because he's in a movie theater in like some some city somewhere. And when when Carrie's hand shoots out of there, he goes, these big guys, goes, oh, no, she ain't going to be right ever now. Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> like because it, it, it shocks you so much. But it became the trope. And the problem is in Carrie, you wouldn't, didn't expect it at the end of uh, Friday the 13th. You really don't expect it because you there is no Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees is the dead kid. 
the dead kid now comes out of the lake. Like what? The bursting through the window. If you watch it, especially when you watch it on the Blu-ray, you can see he's on a harness hanging there and he's hanging there and hanging there and hanging there. But in the movie theater, they did that on purpose. So everyone jumps, the popcorn goes in the air, whatever. Right. And then when you, you come back down, he's still there. It's, and it, it's it's when you're not getting scared by it, you're like, okay, why is he hanging in the air so long? But it became so iconic. That has been stolen and reused over and over again. And you think, how can something from Friday the 13th Part 2 be iconic? But, but it is. And and it's yeah. just kind of funny that the, the tropes, as Luke was saying, and, and we've said this too, they don't exist yet. So if you're trying to like th- throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Right. I mean, the innovation... Yeah. It's what is what's uh, the the most important part of that of that that scene. Yeah. Because it as it as you said it gets copied over and over and over. I mean, jump scares are derogere for every horror movie. Yeah. Now that now yeah. they're everything. Yeah. Well, that's how you make a movie PG thirteen instead of making it R. Like perfect example because mm-hmm. you saw the third Conjuring, right? You saw yeah. Conjuring three, right? Yeah. The Conjuring three has got it's R and it's got some like blood and oh. like horror, horror you know you know nothing 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 oh my god nothing like nothing hellraiser or hellbound kind of craziness to it which is kind of saying something movies made literally 30 years ago is still are scarier right but it but it has some visceral stuff in it if you cut out some of the blood and some of the stuff and some of the violence the movie all of a sudden becomes pg-13 right and and that's i think what the difference is between the conjurings and like, I mean, I actually, I mean, I like all the Conjuring movies. I don't, some of the Annabelles weren't as good as others, but I think what they do is they put the, the jump scare in, but they put the, t- they have terrifying stuff as well. Well, thing, yeah, that's what, that's what makes the, 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 at least to me, Conjuring 3, obviously the best of the three, because they just keep ramping it up. Yeah. But that movie, I don't want to say it was scary, but that movie was so, you were, you were involved with it and you, you had that. Attention, attention, right. attention but, inside but your body, and then the jump scare comes. And I mean, I don't. You know, I I can usually foretell when when it's going to be a jump scare, except when they all of a sudden it'll be a comic relief. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, to me, that was the, the the jump scare there was appropriate. I mean, a lot of times, just jump scares are thrown in just to get people to. So well, falling asleep. Well, because the problem is that every so many – okay, so in the yeah. documentary, uh, um, which – uh, and now I'm going to pieces. It's also a book. Uh, and they talked about they – some of them – someone took a stopwatch and timed out oh, how right. long it was. And they actually made slash – they went through slash movies and timed out how long it was between every one of them. And then they said, well, let's make a movie. And they made um, – was it, I think it was Graduation Day where they literally went through and said, okay – um, it's now been six minutes. We need to have a, uh, a kill and then six, have a kill. And so what happened was it gave you enough time to get involved. Oh, okay, a kill happened. Okay. Right. And it lets you come up, come down. And then it gave you enough time to go up, come up, come down. And then that's, that's what happened. So if you literally took a stopwatch and statistically went through these movies, the better movies, the ones that work the best for hitting the formula, the formula is there. The formula is there in in the original uh, Friday the 13th. It's there in part two. It's there in Nightmare on Elm Street. It's there in Halloween. I mean, it's in Halloween. It's in Psycho. Like, yeah. you know, they, the Psycho, he held you longer, but he was building up that tension. But once the shower scene happens, people were not okay in that movie theater. People were, what? what? Like, Janet Lee's, how can Janet Lee be dead? We're a quarter way through the movie. Like, it, it made you un- so uneasy. Now, literally, in Scream, they kill Drew Barrymore, who they show on the poster in the first 10 minutes of the movie. But she's now gutted, hanging from a tree. You're like, oh, 
Oh, the rules are out the door. Now it's not safe anymore. She didn't do anything like... I mean, she didn't know her movie trivia, which is well, a yeah, downside, right. right? I mean, that's, let's be honest here. If you don't know movie trivia, don't say you do, right? But what happens is they start do they start breaking the rules. And when you're breaking the rules, you're like, well, okay, now it's not even safe. And I don't mean like, like when we watch Maniac and you're like, okay, this director is nuts. Like nothing is safe. This guy's just going to murder everybody, whatever. Yeah, and all the different the different ways. I right. Mean, but again, in, in, in Scream, you're right. It, it, when you kill... The, the star yeah. right away. Yeah. Now you're saying, what the hell is going on? Right, exactly. And and but that's what I'm saying is when that's why Scream became so influential in being the the idea of the postmodern horror movie is that it it turned it on its ear and it revamped it. And it did it for the Dawson Creek era. It did it for the you know the kid the, the, all the, the 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 teenagers who are so I'm now not their target audience. I mean again it works as a horror fan, but I'm now in college in my early twenties. They're like, oh let's get the new generation, the kids who are watching, you know, the WB eleven and Dawson Creek and all that stuff. Let's get part of five people why is nev campbell in it why is it seth green why because those people work beautifully i know what you did last summer it's jennifer love hewitt's the other one from party of five it's the two pretty right. girls on party of five they put them in a movie and jennifer love hewitt again she's in i don't know how many but there's three or four of those i mean kind of thing i know what you did last summer like those movies work for that reason and what and it was the whole idea of the the black poster with all the the pretty people pushed up, you know, and it's, it's just there's like they're on there, and it's what it's not the the it's not the painted posters of back in the day. It's not looking like you know um, like the Star Wars posters or the whatever. It became that. And what happened was that became copied and copied and copied and copied. You had uh, you had Val, um, you had even the. Um, Urban Legends did it and all the different movies. They did the exact same poster, the exact same idea. Let's get that girl who was in the Noxima commercial. Great. We'll make her the killer this time. Let's get, the, they just went and started getting every pretty face and started putting them in a movie. If you look back and, and again, some of those people went on to become bigger stars and some of them were just TV stars and they used that. That was what happened with Scream. This is now the first iteration of that. And if you think about it, the first iteration of this, because people say, well, the slasher movie started with Text Chainsaw Massacre. Not really. Text Chainsaw Massacre, when you go back and watch the mm -hmm. original Text Chainsaw Massacre, it's not a slasher movie. It's a backward it's it's probably I don't want to say it's I mean it's like Deliverance, but it's probably more akin to movies like Deliverance, Deliverance yeah. which is like the idea of being afraid of the rural stuff. You, you know what it's actually I mean, the Hills Have Eyes is another one where they're they're kind of their cannibal, like hillbilly, whatever kind of thing. The, those are diff that's not the same movie. As you're making with Halloween, which which is the which is the you know the father like the grandfather of this whole thing, into Friday the Thirteenth, into those movies, the slasher. Yeah, I mean, stuff. all of these like wrong turn. Okay, the thing wrong is, turn is a throwback. Yeah, well, in that no, way, that's what I'm saying. Which is why it's so good. You, what you have is you have a a, a, a you have a, a a sheet of paper, and you've got five columns on your sheet of paper, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre falls into one. Halloween falls into another. The um, Hills Have Eyes falls into another. They And so what you wind up having is iterations on the top, the, the very first one, all the way through right. the, uh, you know, the series. doesn't mean that the, the movies themselves get worse and worse, which is usually the case. Well, what but, happens is that they, the budgets get lower but, and lower. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the, when the, when the, when the when returns the, don't come back, come back yeah. You know. Well, but the thing is, the, like, that's why Wrong Turn, I think, works so well. The first Wrong Turn. The other ones, they kind of started getting a little, again, the budgets went way down and things changed. Well, I'll tell you, that, that first Wrong Turn to me is the best of the, uh, 
you know, they, they, I don't, we have this, it's, it's the modern stuff. It's, yeah. it's more modern stuff. But if you look at that, what they did was they had Eliza Dunkshu, again, a pretty face. She was from, she was from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She plays, right. uh, I forgot her name on Buffy because I, you know, whatever. I totally bought it, but she's not, she's not Buffy, obviously. That's Sarah Michelle Geller who was in, I know you did last summer, right? The thing is, um, so they took her, they took the, Guy who never went on to go anything, but he, there's a couple good looking people. Jeremy, I mean, Jeremy's sister was in there. He's really young. Uh, the what her name, I forgot her name, Manuel, and I forgot her last name. She's the one who gets half capped, right? Mm-hmm. They have pretty people, right? And they put them in a situation where you're like, okay, is this going to be just a regular slash movie? And then it turns into more The Hills Have Eyes, right? Then it turns into Friday the 13th. I mean, and that one, that was the, that was to me, was the creepiest movie. Well, but, of, but okay, of the group. But, I, but think about why it was because it sets you up to think like, oh, we're gonna just see a killer in the woods, and it's not a killer in the woods. It's now uh, backwoods hillbilly right. inbred, you know, creature guys, and they're like, okay, we've seen Hills Have Eyes, but now instead of like Hills Have Eyes where they wait till the very end to fight back, the remake of Hills Have Eyes is much more akin to that movie. Um, what happens now is th- there's you know it's not a family now it's it's, it's a young woman who's mad it's a guy who's intelligent enough to be a you know be a doctor so they like they're not stupid and they don't do stupid right. things and in that movie they also set up the perfect stuff jeremy sisto gets the hero's death and you feel so bad when the arrows shoot through him which is all done with cgi or whatever you're like oh my god he's such but he's a hero there because he's not a hero but he's like i'm gonna have to save the girl i love and my friends i'm gonna do this and and you're like you're rooting for him you I never root for anybody in a horror movie except the killer. I don't. I mean, I'm not like, oh, man, I, I identified this guy. I'm like, just kill him. But you root for Jeremy's sister there. You root for those. Why? Because the movie sets you up to do that. And you're like, man, am I actually rooting for somebody I know has to die? I know he has to die, but I'm rooting for him to not die here. I mean, when 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 they're in the trees and she gets half-capped because he's jumping tree to tree, you're like, I mean, that scene is just nuts because you're like, this is crazy on the ground. It's even crazier in the trees, and they're like, well, they're in the trees, but they, of course, set fire to everything. You're like, oh, my God, they're going to burn them out. Like, it all makes sense. Some of that, though, the director, because he was relatively young, and Stan Winston did the special effects, and Stan Winston, I mean, he had done everything. But he was there doing the special effects, and I, and we know from the documentaries and stuff, that, or the, the making of, that Stan Winston was very influential, like, well, let's make the guy look this way. Let's do it right. this way. And he said, well, you know, this guy's got this trait. He's like this. And to the director, like, oh, okay. And they started changing things. A veteran like Stan Winston on set or like Rick Baker or, you know, Rob Bottin. I'm like any of those guys, right? They know these things. They've been there with the top end directors. I mean, Stan Winston has worked with Steven Spielberg and you name who's right. who, right? And those guys, I mean, and the John Carpenters of the world. He's been there with made, and made movies. You were like, oh, you know, what's he ever made? Like, I don't know, Jurassic Park sound familiar, you know, kind of thing. Like literally, you know, he made dinosaurs that look so real that people believe they actually were killing real dinosaurs. Let that sink in for a minute, folks. In 1990, was it two, I think, right? Is that Jurassic Park, 92, 91? No, no, 94, but 90. No, the first one. The first one is, is, is it? I think it's, yeah, no, well, 92, 93. It's, it's, it's right around that, right. People believed that they had real dinosaurs and that they actually had killed real dinosaurs and were going to boycott the movie because of the dinosaur violence in the movie. And they said, you do know it's um, animatronic. That's how good things looked. And this isn't, this isn't like full CGI like now. Like yeah. Jurassic World and like whatever, but it's like crazy to think about that stuff. Anyway, we're kind of getting a little far afield. All right, back to Luke's email regarding Twitch of the Death Nerve, which I don't think you've ever seen, right? The Twitch the, of the Death Nerve, Twitch of the Death Nerve, aka Bay, Bay of Blood. Like it's uh, it's okay. 
So that's what that's what goes into Friday the 13th and Luke's in the top here. Regarding Twitter, I will have to disagree with you on its merits, merits relative to the movie. Uh, Twit to the Death Nerve is, is a superior film, although I suppose if you make the argument that F-13-2 is more fun. Of course, Twit to the Death Nerve is very Italian in its presentation, so I may uh, I may simply be more prone to enjoying it. So Twit to remember I said to you, he stabs them through the ground, and it's right from Twit to the Death Nerve. There are things in Twit to the Death Nerve that line up in Friday the okay. 13th Part 2. And Twitch of the Death Nerve is a giallo, technically, right? Because it's because it's Italian, so it falls into the giallo. It's not exactly like giallos like we would have had prior, where you'd have no idea who the killer is. This is a giallo, technically, quote unquote, because it's Italian, so it gets lumped in. But it's much more it's much more in line with being a slasher movie than it is like it's not like Profondo. It's not like Deep Red. It's not like okay. uh, Tenebrae. Like in Tenebrae, you're like, okay, who's the killer? Like you get to the end of the movie, you're like. It's got to be one of these people. No one's left alive. And then, like, you get someone slashed and, like, blood all over the wall. And you're like, this is nuts, right? Um, but that's a very different kind of thing. All right. So we talked about Twisted Death Nerve. Now let's get to the next part of Luke's email. Regarding the Fast and the Furious, uh, I originally had a large paragraph here detailing many circumstances where they had to align for that film to end up as one of the most successful film franchises of all time. But for the sake of brevity, let me just say that Sometimes all you need is a few champions to recognize the potential of a brand to make it work and the dedication to get it out there for the audience to find, which is not entirely dissimilar to Paramount did with Friday the 13th or New Line with Nightmare on Elm Street a few years down the road. They may not be winning little gold statues, but putting butts in seats and dollars in coffers. And ultimately, that is what matters with the big wigs in power suits sitting around a a big boardroom table. Thanks. Looking forward to, and Luke talks about uh, movies we had done. John LeMay and I covered Dracula 8072. You and I talk about Kong 76 and whatever else when Luke sent this. And we talk about Fast and Furious all the time in the vein that Fast and Furious movies, like they're, they're, they got more nuts as you went. Well, why? Because the technology in when you made the first Fast and Furious movie is not nearly the technology you have nowadays. But what have we learned about Fast and Furious movies? They make money hand over fist. They make money domestically. They make money in Europe. They make insane money in Asia, right? But those movies are exactly what they were doing here. Friday the 13th movies don't cost much to make. They make the first one. They're like, all right, we made it for whatever. And they're like, you know, whatever it was, like a million dollars. And they got like, you know, what, a hundred million dollars back. Like, oh my God. Like literally the movies made so much money that they were like, let's put a little more into it, a little more into it. And as we talked about, Eventually, Tom Savini's brought in to do special effects on these movies. You I mean they weren't, you know, this? I mean, Savini was doing special effects on the on part one, but then he became a bigger star. And they were like, well, "We got to get these things. Let's get." They started getting, you know, the the top effects people they could get. The blood and the move. The not that the budgets became insanely big, but they knew they had a return on that money. When when F nine came out this year, right? They didn't. They wasn't the only one. I I hope it makes money. Like, how much money can it make in one day? And F9 might be the perfect example of a post, oh, I shouldn't say post, I mean, it's post first quarantine, uh, you know, world, right. right, where movies are going back to the theater. I mean, F9 launches and everyone's like, yep. And what happened? K- K- Godzilla versus Kong, which came, which is, a, the, the, which had been the leading, whatever. like that was the, the people, people like, I just got to go see this on a th- in a theater. F9, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, I mean, now like Jungle Cruise came out this summer. Like that's a big Disney release. I mean, those things they're trying so hard, but like at some point, like like Disney knows that that 
no matter what movie they put out, there's a certain amount of return they're going to get, right? They know that like, okay, it's going to cost me, you know, $300 million to make it. We're going to make $600 million on it. Okay, fine. Like, or whatever. They kind of know that. And now some movies, Frozen, you know, are not supposed to be anything special and then become, you know, this giant cash cow, right? But like the talk is obviously there's going to be a Toy Story 5. We know Toy Story 5 is going to make this much money. It's going to cost this much to make. Like they know that. But then there's other movies that they're not sure on that that that, that, that do that do great. Yeah. And, and Frozen is probably the best example I think of all of them. Because let's face it, Frozen is as as a story. Frozen was nothing. There's nothing in there that would make it stand out from being that much different than most other animated movies from what they did. Yeah. And Frozen didn't do anything when it first came out, but then it like the the songs caught on and it caught fire and they re-released it and all of a sudden. Every single girl in the entire world is singing those songs. Right, and it was the song. Yeah, it was the song. Again, the, and and having Arena Mendez sing it. I mean, if you had had Cindy Lauper sing it with, without the power and the and the enthusiasm, yeah, it might not have might not well, have caught on because there's just, nothing. There's nothing. It, when you, there's nothing in that in that song that <clears throat> is compelling. Except that it, it well, but it, it's empowering. Yes, and, and and the thing is, as we saw when we were down at Disney at the, oh, the live show, that when, was incredible. But but everyone sang the whole song. The entire theater is singing this song. Song, right? All the and, words. And and then what happens? They're like just the dads, and then it's all the dads sing because we all know the words because it's stuck in our skull and it never goes away, right? Um, but the thing is, it's it's amazing how much that grows. And then Frozen has now become the, Frozen. And Frozen Two didn't make nearly as much money as Frozen One, but. You know, Elsa and Anna and Olaf and all those characters are so much bigger and so much the amount of money they made on doll. Man, think about it. Frozen was out. There wasn't a doll of any of them to get. There wasn't a toy. There wasn't a shirt. Like stuff was going insane because Disney's like, we can't make it fast enough. And they couldn't get it from China to here when they had it made fast enough. And what happened was they were like, we're going to miss out on Christmas and whatever. And I mean, all Haley wanted, I just wanted Elsa on a doll. I'm like, oh my, I cannot find them anywhere. Right. Like it, they would come in at Toys R Us. They would, people would dig, hijack them as they're getting off the truck and they were just buying all of them. And yeah, it was like, one of the, what would they call those, uh, those, those funny looking dolls? Well, Furbies went crazy went back yeah, in the, in the nineties. No, and what then, was... um, I don't know what you were talking about. I the, mean. The ones, the, the 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 dolls that had the that they were I forget what they were, but the ones you couldn't you couldn't find them anymore. Furbies were the thing back in the ninety and and whatever. Kelly was working at KB back then. Those became the ones that talked a little whatever. They became in super hard. Yeah. Cabbage Patch Kids that's, way back, that's so, but that's the eighties. That was a different. That was a different monster entirely. Okay. If it for because that had no TV show, no movie, no nothing. That was just became the hot toy. And for those you were like, I can't believe this, or maybe you're too young. Go look up on YouTube. Look up the cre- the, the 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 clips of people like <laughs> knocking children. They're like, "There's children here." There's st- there's people screaming at people, diving over people, killing each other for a cabbage patch doll. And people think because they because they, they remember like Jingle All the Way with the Turbo Man with the, that's with Sinbad yeah. and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, it's so funny. Like you literally will watch people rip them out of children's hands. Women punching each other in the face just for this doll. They didn't even care which one they got. Not, right. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't one specific. No, doll. it was this. It, it was. was oh. Do you have a doll? Oh my god! It was the most insane well, you know, time. And you know the thing about we had we were talking about this now that the uh, like the Furious movies. Yeah. I, I I'm not sure, but they haven't really gone into the toys. In that no, moment. no. Okay. And so, so, and so no, no, but here's so why. But here's why. 
there are no that now they do make because someone's like they make them all like yes if you go down the hot wheels aisle there is a fast right. every car from fast and furious because it's all about cars the problem is toys now are not nearly as important uh, to movie tie-ins as they used to be Disney still puts out plushes and they put out like the Barbies and the whatever, like whatever kind of thing, because those will always sell a certain number of them. But the amount of merchandise in 2021 is not nearly what it was even five, six years ago. Right. Uh, don't worry, folks, that wasn't a model falling this time. Uh, you know, kind of thing. it wasn't like that, you know, kind of thing. But nowadays, like you, you're going to sell your merchandise. There's going to be shirts. It's going to be like, I mean, there are Fast and the Furious shirts for boys, and well, and not to say they're just for boys, but they are in the little, the little boy sections. But they don't market those movies the same way. They don't have to, because you're not making. It's not like Star Wars, where you knew, like, I mean, George Lucas knew. Again, I, people say he didn't know. He had to know that the toys were going to be what's going to make. The, the, there are so many toys to be made from the Star Wars movies that Star, if Star Wars had never hit the way it did, I mean, I think. Cinema, as we know, would be very, very different. Stories became so, so important and changed the landscape, everything like, you know, you know, but the, like the idea that when Kenner made the toys, in fact, the toys that made us the episode on Star Wars figures talks about like, they were like, well, we're going to make them like Mego size. We're going to make them like small size. And then become small became the thing, like the, the three and three quarter. Yeah. Well, that's what GI Joe went from being GI Joe, the doll, the GI Joe, the figure. And when they talk about all those different things, all those are on Netflix, the, the movies, that, the, the toys that made us. They talk about how much money they were making with the figures. That stuff doesn't exist anymore. The the collector market, the market now for certain things is much more collector. And uh, you know, as an adult collector, you know, it's like whatever kind of thing. Like, and and you know, it's like it's like the it's uh, it's like when we go to okay, when when we go figure shopping, which is a different podcast. We're talking about get back to wrestling kind of stuff. And we get there, and Haley's like, oh, they have the same guys on the shelf again. And I was like, well, and she's like, yeah, they have the top guys on the shelf. So if I'm a kid who's never watched wrestling before, and I watched SummerSlam the other day, and I see Roman Reigns, I want a Roman Reigns. I go to the store, there's a Roman Reigns. I go to the store, there's a John Cena. There's a Drew McIntyre. There's a, you know, whoever, yeah. right? But if I'm going to the store going, man, I want to get a carrying cross. Good luck. I want to get, you know, Scarlet. Better luck, you know, hopefully get it. Or And that's why those are in the lines. But every line has the legends or the guys. Who they, you know, John Cena has, like, more figures than I can shake a stick at. The Miz. Those are top guys. And those top guys need to be what's on the shelf. Because, But they're also, they also know that we, in this line, we're going to put a Rey Mysterio. But this Rey Mysterio is going to have purple with this because it's going to match up to this pay-per-view. And people will go crazy to get that one right. because it goes with every Rey Mysterio I have that matches the pay-per-views. That's not a kid. I mean, well, that's not – I mean, Haley does that stuff, but that's – she's not normal, right? Um, but, like, you know, she, like like a, a kid would say, Rey Mysterio, do they care that he has the purple with the gold mask on? Or that he has the red with the green. It doesn't matter to them, really. I mean, maybe they like purple better than gold than the, the green. Right. But it doesn't matter that they're like, well, this is clearly Rey Mysterio from SummerSlam 87. Or 87. Uh, like, you know, 2007. This is Rey Mysterio from uh, Halloween Havoc. And this, like, no kid knows that. I know that. Haley references those things. But that's what – toys now aren't the same as they used to be. Yeah. It's no – but it's also no longer like it was even – when Teen Mutant Turtles came out, which is the 90s, right? And getting the turtles, you could get the base turtles, but then like, I got to get Bebop and Rocksteady. And they're like, we're going to release the turtles again, but now they're going to have this action and this action. And they just kept, it's the same four turtles. Right. It's, you know, bum, 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 bum. And kids were like, oh my God, I got to have them all. And then at some point they're like, I don't really need all of these. Do I really need seven Michelangelos? Do I really need whatever? And 
the Fast and the Furious films are not about putting uh, toys out there. I mean, you can buy every car. Every single car is available. Like, the most popular, of course, are like, you know, Vin's, like a Vin Diesel's car from the original kind of thing or whatever. Or, um, you know, they have stuff like that. But there is no... There's no action figure. There's no three and three quarter. Right, that's of, what I mean. You know, there's, there's no, there's I mean, no. For, the, for you know, all the money they made, uh, not no, they make their it. money on. They make their money on what do you call? It? They make their money in the theaters. Yeah. And 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 like so, to be honest, they make their make their money in in Asia immediately. Those movies are huge over there. Oh sure. But think of what they have in them. They have you know car chases and whatever. All those things are allowed. There's no there's no magic that has to be you know banned. Like there's no I mean. Kaijus and stuff like that, different story, Godzilla and King Kong, whatever. But there's nothing that could be like even uh, controversial by way of what they're doing. Because again, the, the, very honest, and people are like, well, there's so much story. Like the, at the end of the day, they're very, the, the, you know, there's going to be a car chase, you know, there's going to be a helicopter or a plane or a motorcycle or whatever's going to be in this chase. I mean, the one where they're chasing them all around the city, where they're trying to like, and they, and they had the, like the, the thing in their hot boxing, the thing around. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's when the rock is like, breaks his cast off his arm and then drives the truck out the side of the building. You're like, okay. And Haley goes, there wasn't a ramp. And that's really what she <laughs> said. I go, but honey, he had it. Like she goes, you know, and isn't his arm really going to hurt if he broke it out of a cast? Because it needed to be in a cast for a reason. I'm like, honey, it's the rock. Like, you have to understand, you know? And that's one of the things. Even with Hobb versus Shaw, and they're making a second one of that, that movie gets a little more even crazier with putting the virus in her and they have to get the virus out of her. But it's nothing magical there. I mean, that's still science E. You know, kind of thing. It's like Jack Arnold science. It's sciencey enough to be real, but just sci-fi enough to kind of keep it there, you know? And that's what happens. They, they, they make money hand over fist, and they're entertaining as heck. They had them all on the other day, and whatever channel they were on did not have the rights to one, two, three. Maybe they had four. They definitely had five, six, and seven. And they showed five, six, and seven, five, six, and seven. They showed over and over and over and over again. And you catch it in the middle of it. You're like, oh, wait, this is they're going to they're gonna jump the car between the two buildings. Give it a minute. Or, wait, this is the fight scene where Michelle Rodriguez somehow is going to beat up Ronda Rousey and four guards. And, you know, you know, kind of thing. But you know those things are in them. But they make – and I'll be honest. I, I don't begrudge them any of that stuff. They make money they, and they, they serve a purpose and they're entertaining films. And certainly you don't go to have a Fast and Furious movie and go, man, I was bored. It's not boring. It's certainly not boring. And think about it. The the except for the Fast and Furious franchise, which people have, you know, they've had to make other franchises to try to do more car chases and stuff like that. The most ripped off franchise right now is John Wick. And John Wick was a standalone single movie that became huge. And now there's gonna make a fourth John Wick. I mean, you just saw Nobody you watched Nobody already, right. which is by the same people. Um what is it? Uh, Wrath of Man. Very much in the. And again, I know they're not all exactly the same, but John Wick is an assassin. He's not a. He's not a hero, right? He's you know he's right. kind of he's kind of a bad guy, but he's fighting worse guys. So you're like, okay, I root for the lesser bad guy. And Wrath of Man, he's a killer. He's he's. I mean, wait, he's he's a, he's a he leads a whatever. But I mean, he but he's not a good guy. No, he's a he's yeah. And and, and, and the, the thing find, is, and you find out you're, you're rooting for him. Well, I mean, but you root for him because the other guys are worse. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Uh, but again, the thing with Rat the Man is that uh, when I watched it, I said I've seen this movie before, and it turns out that that the Statham did a movie years years before called Brick, which is basically the same premise. He's a crook. Brick or is it Parker? I'm he, sorry, Parker. 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 I well, keep, he, I keep he, he, he made a bunch of movies that all have like single title things. And, yeah. and he's always kind of on the shady side of things. Yeah. But the thing is, a lot of times he's a good guy 
that gets involved with with something that's happened to him or his family. Well, that's, that's going to get because that's the transporter series. That's the other side right. of him, yeah. and they made three of those too. But the thing is, with Parker, and see, is when you watch it, the movies are exactly the same. And he's a crook. They steal from him. He's got to get the back and. But again, it doesn't matter. The movies are entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And that's all that matters. I yeah. mean, when you get right down to it, uh, Rat the Man, I watched it. The second time I watched it, I liked it a lot better because the they intersperse, uh, uh, you know, previous scenes with, with, with new scenes. Well, but now you know what to look for. Yeah. And when you know what to look for, it's like it's like the second time you watch Usual Suspects, you can pick up on all the things like, how did I miss this? It's so I obvious. And you're like, how did I miss it? Because you're not watching the little things. You're mm-hmm. watching the, you know, gross movie. Anyway. Yeah. All right, folks. So. Uh, that about does it for our emails we have right now. Um, of course, Dad and I will be uh, back for the December episode, which will be Fat Man, um, another movie that is unlike anything else I've watched in a long time, um, and that's starring Mel Gibson. Um, and the the thing is, uh, that's our December, our regular December release. Luke and I are actually have two movies coming up for you um, to round out the year, and then we'll kick off 2022, um, getting back into some stuff. I know this year we've kind of been, you know, we jumped around with different things, and we you know we started with uh, you huh. know Dark Room and stuff like yeah. that. No, but I'm saying, but we, but it's important we, to do that. No, no, but I'm saying that we did movies like we're doing a slasher movie. Like I mean, it was, it wasn't all just straight, you know, big bugs and you know right. whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's there's some horror and stuff there. And to be honest with you, Fat Man is not all ages. If you're gonna watch it beforehand, I would not advise watching it with your kid, um, especially if they don't handle violence or uh, harsh language well, because that movie has a lot in it. But that's our December episode. This, of course, is our Thanksgiving episode. We want to wish everyone a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, your 2020, you know, your, your 2021 is, you have things to be thankful for, obviously. And then, you know, and that, um, things that are, have been hard that they get better as you go forward and you have a good end of the year. If you have any feedback, folks, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot it to me. We'll read it on the air. I will try to get them uh, an episode of this in quicker than once every year or once every like six months, seven yeah. months, eight months. It's hard. We got movies to do. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we'd like you to do it via an email so we can read it. Yeah, a lot yeah. of times we get we get well, uh, we get people talking calls that they're, yeah. they're talking to us, and you know, we can all just maybe summarize what they're yeah, saying. Yeah. But uh, that's why. It's nice to get to, to get emails back. Yeah, I mean the thing, and I know sending an email to a podcast is a, you know a commitment of time and stuff, and I get that, and and I do appreciate everyone commenting online and stuff like that. But the comments are online are like, "Hey, great episode" or things like that, which is awesome. And don't get me wrong, I appreciate all the likes yeah. and shares on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on uh, F- Facebook. All that stuff helps, um, you know, pushing it out there. So uh, that about does it for us, folks. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, so. Keep those cards and letters coming, and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which, at this very moment, still prevails and could, at any time, lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacanetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?